Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we give an unsung organ its due, the anus. And I'm not talking about the cheeks, I'm talking about what's in between. Catherine Wu calls it an evolutionary marvel, and her Atlantic piece about how momentous the appearance of the anus was in animal evolution is now set to appear in this year's Best American Science and Nature writing. Wu joins us to talk about all the incredible ways creatures use their anuses, and how the social taboo of talking about our back ends contributes to our lack of appreciation for their wonders. Forum is next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Bum, bottom, butthole. There are endless euphemisms for our anuses. And none really does justice to what Catherine Wu learned about them for her piece in The Atlantic last year, which was just chosen for the Best American Science and Nature Writing Anthology. Animals use the anus to breathe, move, paralyze prey, in addition to remove poop. Wu's piece is titled, The Body's Most Embarrassing Organ is an Evolutionary Marvel. So listeners, we want to know what are your euphemisms for this embarrassing organ that is the anus, or maybe other body parts? You can post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or email them to forum at kqed.org. And here are a few that listeners already shared before the show. Sam says, took us. Judy says, bunghole. In Ted's family, it's tushy and booty. (laughs) Well, joining me now is Catherine Wu, writer for The Atlantic. Catherine, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. And I should also thank you for inspiring today's show with your great piece. Oh, thank you so much. It's very fun to be revisiting this. Yeah, yeah. You wrote it last year, and it just got included in the uh, Best American Science and Nature Writing Anthology. Congratulations on that. 
Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really thrilled and especially to have this piece, which uh, <laughs> I, I always want to get anuses more attention. So I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, did you have to get more comfortable saying the word anus to report on or write this piece? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't think I really had a problem with saying the word anus before this piece, but over the course of reporting it, I definitely said it far more than I had before. And now I have like zero qualms saying it in next company. It's it's delightful. Yeah. Yeah. I was realizing the many times I had to practice saying it without laughing so that I could do this show. I think I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better because I've been doing it so much lately. But, um, but in your piece of all the anuses you studied, I was really struck that the one that really seemed to get top billing was the sea cucumber anus. So can you talk about why that was sort of the opening anus of your piece. <laughs> yeah, I think what really struck me about this one is, you know, most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about sea cucumbers, uh, sea, cucumber, sea cucumber experts accepted here, of course, but it is just this very blobby, often nondescript thing. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, there are beautiful sea cucumbers out there, but for the most part, they seem largely unremarkable from the outside. And I just love the idea that if you look at one of their ends, there is this unbelievable Swiss army knife of an organ that can do all of these incredible things. Like you don't think about a sea cucumber accomplishing some of the most amazing feats in the known universe, but I feel like having a butthole that can ingest nutrients and breathe and, you know, house fish is pretty <laughs> incredible. I mean, I, I can't, do that. I guess I can't speak for anyone else, but you know, I am not that impressive. Oh, so fish live in the sea cucumber's anus? Uh, they do. Uh, there are these fish called pearl fish. And so when the sea cucumber opens its anus to breathe, it sort of opens like a mouth uh, and allows water to come in and some gas exchange happens. Sometimes when it billows open, a fish will swim inside because uh, why not? Uh, great real estate is tough to come by in the ocean sometimes. <laughs> You also list off some other favorite anuses. Can you talk about some of those? Uh, sure. Um, well, so I guess we can start with uh, the turtle, which is a good bridge yeah. example because they can also breathe through their anuses, um, which, I mean, it's amazing that we have multiple animals out there that can breathe through their butts. Um, there's also dragonflies that can sort of use their anus as like a propulsive device. They suck water in and then eject it back out and it becomes, you know, like a jet stream moving behind them to propel them forward. Um, there are also, you know, sort of casualties of wars in the anus universe. Uh, one favorite of mine is, you know, scorpions have this defense mechanism where, you know, they have these very powerful and dangerous tails, but uh, this is also a way for other animals to grab onto them if they want to eat a scorpion. Um, they can get rid of those tails, but what comes off with it is often the entire anus and they seal up what is left behind. But that also means there is no longer a hole through which to defecate and so sometimes they will just die because they get too full of poop or, you know, they just oh. die and you cut them open and they are just bursting with poop. It seems like a bad way to go, like constipation uh, to an unbelievable degree. Wow, that is that is incredible. And yeah, not the way that I would want to die. Uh, <laughs> you have called the appearance of the anus momentous in evolution. Why? What did it allow for? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and I will caveat a lot of this segment by saying that a lot of things are not completely known for sure. I think one thing that people have to keep in mind is that when we look backward in time, there's still a lot of guesswork and there's a lot of evidence to back some of these ideas up. Um, But, you know, we only have uh, modern tools to work with and anuses are not something that fossilize terribly well. So if there are a lot of question marks throughout the segment, um, you know, forgive me. But, you know, I think this is actually one part of the story that makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, so I'll take us millions and millions and millions of years backward in time. Uh, The things that were sort of floating around in the ocean, our very sort of primordial-ish ancestors, were really just kind of sacks. Like if you picture a bowl or even, you know, the shape of like a a jellyfish or something, there was really one hole that did the eating and the excreting, Um, kind of like a a parking garage, like cars go in, uh, the parking garage fills up and really no more cars can come in until someone leaves. Food was kind of like that. You eat a meal, you have to digest it, process it, and then spit the extra stuff out before you can eat again. Um, And that was fine, right? But it wasn't a very efficient way to go about things. Um, Linearizing the gut and turning that into a sort of highway situation where you can eat and then excrete at the other end means that I can eat lunch while I'm still digesting my breakfast. And that was just a way more efficient way to go about things. So after that happened, animals got bigger. Uh, They were able to do more things with their bodies. And so it really was a huge deal just to turn one hole into two. Wow. So to have a separate exit for waste really shaped the evolution of our bodies, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the human body, well, a lot of animal bodies are really just giant tubes. Uh, There's this kind of joke in a lot of scientific communities that bodies are kind of donuts. Um, And, you know, think about it. The inside of your intestine is kind of actually on the outside of your body. (laughs) We're all tubes. Wow. And you alluded to this. It sounds like it's pretty hotly debated when anuses first appeared, as you said, because they didn't fossilize so well. But what are the theories about how they formed? I think there are two main ones that you highlight. Yeah. So yeah, there are two main questions here, the how and the when. And so we're talking about the how right now. So imagine, you know, you're starting with this one hole and you want to get to this sort of linear tube. There's a couple ways that you could go about that. You know, one is to sort of cave in the middle of this hole and literally just like split it in half. One turns into the mouth, one turns into the anus, and one migrates to the other end of the body. Uh, That's one idea, though I think it is the somewhat less favored one, though of course this is contentious and we don't know exactly which is correct. The other is, you know, you can sort of imagine uh, you have, um, you know, one hole, but you actually sort of tunnel through the end of the body and it, you know, another hole kind of pops out the other end. And that version of things, it's kind of like mouth preceded anus rather than both appearing at once out of the same hole. Um, And I think it's important to say here that really actually both could be true. I think a very prevalent line of thinking is actually that anuses have independently evolved multiple times across the tree of life. It was just so useful that so many animals found some way to it. Yeah. What are cloaca? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, the cloaca um, is this sort of, I guess it's an anus analog, you could say it's a type of anus or maybe even reverse it and say that uh, an anus is almost a type of cloaca, but it is this orifice that many animals have, including, you know, birds and reptiles, for instance, um, 
that is this all-purpose exit hole. Uh, it's kind of where the digestive tract and the urinary tract and the reproductive tract all terminate. You can sort of imagine like in a sewer system, there's a sort of hub where all the tubes sort of connect. And so, you know, offspring will come out of there. Feces will come out of there. Urine will come out of there. Um, sex will happen within the cloaca. It's just as if, you know, everything downstairs for us were merged into one nexus. So this partitioning essentially was the evolution, meaning the partitioning of these different roles uh, that the cloaca have. So you have this hole that did sort of everything, but but we have separate holes for reproduction and for <laughs> exiting feces and waste, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's actually not 100 percent clear cut which came first um you know it certainly would have made sense for the cloaca to come first but i mean i think there could be advantages to having a cloaca over you know something partitioned like we have there are yeah. also advantages to having something you know very partitioned out um and so you know it's not like <laughs> one is more evolved than the other uh it's really just that like some animals accidentally happened on something that worked and it stuck around because it had no reason to change. I mean, uh, think about it, like having one hole for everything is quite efficient. But of course, the downside of that is having everything empty into the same chamber does create some infection risk. Um, you know, it's maybe a little, it's a little gross to think about, I think for <laughs> us especially. Um, but also our situation is definitely not perfect. Um, and, you know, happy to talk about that now or get to it later. <laughs> well, I find all of what you're saying so fascinating. And yet I was struck that I think you said, quote, few researchers vocally count themselves among the world's anus enthusiasts. So there aren't a lot of people who are really into at least shouting out that they're studying the anus. I think what, yeah, I mean, I think there are few people who focus almost exclusively on the anus. But I guess in a lot of ways, anyone who studies an animal with an anus, I think should be excited to call themselves an anus researcher <laughs> if they would like to. Um, you know, this, this incorporates so many fields like genetics, developmental biology, ecology, evolution, comparative biology, uh, you know, so many different things. I've even seen mechanical engineers get really interested in buttholes. Um, it's a great way to bring lots of fields together. <laughs> We're talking with Catherine Wu, staff writer for The Atlantic. Her piece is The Body's Most Embarrassing Organ is an evolutionary marvel. It's the piece that inspired today's segment on anuses. And you, our listeners, are sharing your family's euphemisms, your own for the anus or other body parts or other questions or thoughts you have about the anus. 866-733-6786 is the number to do that. You can also post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or email forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about anuses, their biology, and how they evolved with Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic and author of the article, The Body's Most Embarrassing Organ is an Evolutionary Marvel. And we're also hearing how you get around the embarrassment if you feel a little weird uttering the word anus. This listener writes, Fanny. Brian writes, I like Pooperschaft from Sasha Baron Cohen. But my family said butthole. All right. You can also share yours, listeners, by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. We got this voicemail from Augusto. Here we go. Hi, my name's Augusto Bastidas. I'm a general surgeon. Uh, One of my favorite uh, lines regarding the anus is when patients come in and tell me that they have hemorrhoids, to which I usually reply, it's a good thing you have hemorrhoids, otherwise your anus wouldn't work. And then I explain to them that hemorrhoidal cushions are part of the mechanism that allows the anus to seal. And that when patients have, quote, hemorrhoids, they're usually talking about their hemorrhoids getting big or their hemorrhoids bleeding. But everybody has hemorrhoids. Otherwise, their anus would not work. Well, thank you for sharing that. We are learning so much about the anus uh, today, Catherine Wu. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about how it really is so much a part of research. But that uh, I think you quote someone in your piece as saying the moment you say anus, you can hear a pin drop in the room. This person is really talking about the bodily taboos that exist around talking about it, right? Can you talk a little bit about if you think this has a cost in terms of scientific research? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, you know, to be fair here, I don't know of anyone who has systematically studied this. If you have, uh, tell me. (laughs) But it's hard to sort of quantify the impact of a taboo like this on research. But, you know, certainly when I talk to people in the general public or even scientists who don't specialize in this, there is still some weirdness about saying words like anus. Uh, We don't love to talk about these things. And, you know, I I do want to be fair here. It is totally uh, normal to have a little bit of squishiness in your brain when we talk about things like feces. Like, you know, there's an evolutionary reason to not want to be rolling around in other people's poop all the time. We don't want to get diseases and all that stuff. But I think it's important here to distinguish between like, let's think about, okay, it maybe wouldn't be safe to do that, but we don't have to be super embarrassed about our anuses. They do so much for us. We all use our anuses every single day. uh, And it's bad when we don't. Um, I think uh, they deserve a little bit more appreciation than they have traditionally gotten. But I'd be very curious to hear, uh, you know, more GI docs um, or more people who specialize in this, what it's like for them to go to parties and tell people what they do. From what I've heard, it can really be a mixed bag in terms of reactions. Aww. Well, I'd like to bring a doctor into the conversation, Dr. Jen Gunter, an OBGYN and pain medicine physician, also the author of the book, The Vagina Bible, The Vulva and the Vagina, Separating the Myth from the Medicine. Dr. Gunter, thanks so much for being on with us. 
Thank you for having me. You know, uh, hearing Catherine talk about poop and sort of our evolutionary reaction to be disgusted by it for good reason, but socially we take this maybe a little too far, reminds me of the podcast episode that you did about poop and about how people are really reluctant to tell their physicians about any pooping issues that they have. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned when you did that episode? Yeah, well, I I think it's comes from a lot of different places. I mean, a lot of people have been shamed before when they brought it up or they've been dismissed. And I think also too, you know, unfortunately, a lot of doctors aren't educated on the mechanics of defecation. And so when there's an issue, they don't really know what to say. So I think it's kind of multifactorial, but, uh, you know, I, the one thing that I learned from, uh, from that podcast episode that I liked is, uh, the term pooforia. <laughs> what is pooforia? <laughs> That's where you have that perfect bowel movement and you walk out the door and you want to high five everybody. <laughs> That's a really nice way to destigmatize pooping. But yeah, I, you make an interesting point about the fact that I think, you know, you, you were talking about how people suffered for longer than they needed to because mm-hmm. they weren't willing to talk about poop or or how doctors had a, struggled to, to diagnose, say, irritable bowel syndrome. And and things like that. Where do you think or what did you learn about where that stigma comes from? Well, I think it it comes from a lot of places. I mean, I think like I, w- I always like to blame the Victorians for everything because because, <laughs> you know, they, they really are responsible for a lot. I mean, they, you know, are sort of, um, you know, move to to being um you know, you know, puritanical about defecation, especially for women, uh, you know, came around that time, you know, public bathrooms weren't something that women could go to, you know, you, you had to stay at home all day. You were obviously, you know, all kinds of terrible things could happen to you if you actually used the bathroom in public. So you have this sort of long standing sort of societal oppression about, about talking about intimate places. And, you know, we're still seeing, you know, reverberations today, reverberations, how more than what we just discussed a moment ago? Yeah. Well, I think we also, so we see, for example, just, we talked about people getting delayed diagnoses, but you know, we see all these predatory products, right? So if you can't bring up the conversation with your doctor, well, then what happens? You go looking online and, and you try maybe cures for constipation that aren't really good for you or cleanses, or, you know, you, you, you fall down the, the, the tragic rabbit hole of coffee enemas, for example. So there's, Mm. there's all kinds of places to go, (laughs) which are not good. Uh, Yeah, potentially dangerous. Uh, Let me go to caller Mark in Dublin. Hi, Mark. Hey, I'm a physician, and uh, I I would say that uh, um, the the anus is the butt of any number of jokes. (laughs) And uh, 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 yes, and, you know, such as, you know, why why did uh, the doctor go into proctology? You know, he wanted to, to look up old friends, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but we had a lecture in medical school in which uh, um, our uh, professor that day claimed that a well-functioning anus was in many ways the foundation of Western civilization. Wow. Uh, in the sense that, you know, it, it helped prevent, uh, you know, embarrassing social, social situations in the sense that it was so sensitive an organ uh, that it could tell the difference between gas, liquid, and air. Um, and you know, with, with the <laughs> with with the obvious uh, 
uh, benefits that uh, that accrue from that. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you for appreciating, helping us appreciate the anus even more. Jeffrey tweets, one of the things that amazes me about the anus is that it is a sphincter that can allow gas to pass while retaining liquid and solid. Let me go to Debbie in Mountain View next. Hi, Debbie. Hey, hi. I just wanted to tell you a little funny. I have a Saturn car, and my license plate cover says, my Saturn is prettier than Uranus. <laughs> and I get lots and lots of people sitting behind me, and they're kind of grumpy, and they read my license plate, and they just burst into laughter. Yeah. And it's, it, it is, it's a, you know, it's a, um, it's an anus joke, and I have no problem with the word anus, but <laughs> or Uranus, so... <laughs> I just thought I'd tell you. Debbie, thanks for that, Joy. Dana writes on Facebook, My mother is a nurse and was always very matter-of-fact about these things. Nevertheless, the rest of the family only talked about body parts or bodily functions in a joking manner. Through comedy, we were able to relate to one another and even learn about otherwise embarrassing topics. Farts are hilarious and everyone has a good diarrhea story. We're all human and it's okay to laugh about it. Catherine Wu, how do the docs who you spoke with for your piece on anuses feel about people often calling it a butt? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think opinions on this are a little bit divided. I think if you are out there, uh, use whatever words, um, you know, spark joy. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, I, I like to call an anus an anus and a butt a butt because, you know, technically these can be referring to different structures. If we're thinking about the anus, that really is, you know, the specific whole. Um, and butt is often like, if we're getting really formal here, but is really technically short for buttocks, which is, you know, the fleshy stuff around the anus. Uh, and so while we often use butt to sort of euphemize anus, it can sometimes get a little confusing what we're talking about. Like what has a butt? I think more things, much, many more things have an anus than have a butt. Uh, and so it can sometimes help to be clear. But if you prefer saying butt, uh, all, I'm all for it. Uh, butts are worth talking about, too. Yes. Well, actually, in fact, you say that the most exciting thing about the human anus or the human, I don't know, posterior is the butt, the cheeks and how those develop. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Katie Wu? Uh, sure. Um, I, I mean, okay. I, you know, to be fair, uh, the human anus is great, but I think if your comparator is like a sea cucumber anus, come on, it's, it's kind of boring. <laughs> our, our anuses can't do quite as many things. Uh, but what is really unusual about, uh, you know, just the human posterior region, anus included, is all this fleshy stuff we have packed around it. You know, we we became bipedal and that was a huge evolutionary innovation for us. And, you know, the, the butt, uh, the muscles and the fat and just the way that that helped structure our pelvis and all the things around it was a huge part of that. And nothing really quite did butts the way that we did. Well, we are getting some more calls. Let me go to Christine next in Palo Alto. Hi, pa hi, Christine. Hi. I'm calling because my family is all about potty humor, and there is no topic off limits. And we used to refer to the anus as the rusty bullet hole or the chocolate starfish. <laughs> the ch okay, that, that one I haven't heard. That's awesome, Christine. Yeah. Pretty inappropriate, but pretty hilarious. And I feel like poop is so important. And the gut, the book, talks about the importance of our bowel movements because, you know, your microbiome is like 80 or 70% of your body. Wow, yeah. Health. 
I know there's so much around the microbiome these days, Jen, so much more appreciation, I feel like, Dr. Gunter, for what our guts do, including our anus as well. <laughs> um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I think this is something, though, that we're just, um, you know, scratching the surface. You know, the thing about the microbiome is we know it exists and we know it's important. This is this um, sort of colony or sort of colony of bacteria and microorganisms that fungi that live in our gastrointestinal tract and really, you know, on our body in general and different parts of our bodies have different microbiomes. And so we know it's there and we know it's important. Um, and we know some of the things that upset it. Uh, and so it's just, this is kind of like a, a whole new world. Yeah, so much still to learn. And the more that we can get comfortable talking about it, the more that we can probably learn about it as we go. Chris writes, I got lots for pooping. Take a dump, pinch a loaf, drop, anchor. Uh, one of the things that I can say for social taboos is that they certainly force us to get creative. And Dr. Gunter, you, you do say, great, it's fine. People can totally have fun with it. But you would like some people to make sure that they use accurate names to discuss body parts. Who are those people and why is that so important? Well, look, first of all, I want to say I'm all for, you know, using funny terms. I always tell my kids about bowel movements, like, hey, I'm going to go drop the kids off at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> and they totally get that. Yes, they totally get this. So it's, it's context is what matters. Right. So, you know, so one of the problems with not knowing your body parts, well, one of the issues is if you don't, if you can't use the correct terms, then the implication is it's shameful. Right. And that's not, it's no, it's no more shameful to say your vulva, vagina, or anus than it is to say your elbow. And obviously if you think something's shameful, then you may end up going other places to get information about it. Mm. The other thing is when you're at the doctor, so you can use correct terminology. So when someone says they're talking about their anus or their butt, well, that could be two different things, right? If your butt hurts, that could be that you, your anus, you have a, you know, a, an anal fissure, or it could mean you have an abscess in, you know, in the muscles in your butt, right? So two, you know, in the gluteal muscles, so two completely different diagnoses. And one of the problems, especially when we don't see people in the office, for example, with telemedicine is if we have to make sure that people are using the same terminology. And we see this a lot also with the vulva and vagina. People use the term vagina to mean, you know, vagina, vulva, and maybe even the perianal area and they're different body parts. So it's important to know so you can communicate accurately. I bet you've heard a lot of euphemisms for the vagina or the <laughs> penis. Well, I always say I only have an amateur interest in the penis, so I, I probably don't hear as many as urologists, <laughs> but certainly for vagina and vulva, yeah. So, you know, for vagina, um, you know, box, poly pocket, floof, um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> coin purse, uh, change purse, um, you know, those are those are a few. <laughs> well, Becca writes, Hot pocket for a vagina, little chicken in Chinese for penis. Um, Grace writes, gochu in Korean, like a chili pepper for penis. Vicky writes, woodpecker. Uh, our producer, Grace, shares, my kids love saying weenus. It was a combo of wee-wee and penis. So we've got <laughs> a hybrid there as well. Well, Brandon Tweeds, thanks for helping me spit coffee on my windshield. <laughs> so looking forward to your discussion on the anus. I hope Brandon is still listening. Sorry about your windshield. Okay. Rebecca tweets, we are all giggling and shrugging as we listen. How did the anus become such a topic of embarrassment and shame, unable to be mentioned in a well-behaved public? I like 
like that you are tackling this topic full frontal, full rear, question mark, and factually. We already touched on um, how it became a topic of embarrassment, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that, Dr. Gunter. Well, I, I just think that it, you know, it's been perpetuated for a very long time. I mean, you know, when we are embarrassed to talk about something, it just it spins off in a, you know, I think we've seen that get amplified with the internet, right. With, you know, different, um, different propagations of disinformation. And I mean, look, I, when my book came out, the vagina Bible, we had ads that couldn't run on Twitter or Facebook because we said the word vagina. Wow. I mean, and look, I'm a gynecologist and I'm, I can't, you know, talk about the vagina, like, you know, what's up with that, but you know, there's no problem with anti-vaccine disinformation, right. That getting sort of promoted ads. So that, I mean, that really says a lot, right. That, you know, that, that Twitter and Facebook, you know, declined those ads. Wow. Let me go to Amelia in San Francisco. Hi, Amelia. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Go ahead. Um, so I have I have a story. My last name is Manus, which rhymes with anus. And when I was in sixth grade, I ran for president. And my slogan was, keep your head out of Uranus and vote for Manus. And I had a picture <laughs> of the planet Uranus. And I won. So it worked. <laughs> That's so great. It was memorable. And I love the fact that you used the closeness of your last name to anus to actually win your election. <laughs> Yeah, you got to You just got to lean in, you know. I totally <laughs> you know, when your agree. Your rhymes with anus. You got to lean in. I got. I, I totally agree. So, so listeners, you know, get off your anus and call in at eight six six seven three three six seven eight six if you want to join this conversation. If you're getting over your uh, discomfort, you can also post your thoughts, questions, comments about how you talk about the anus and its functions. On email, uh, forum at kqed.org, or on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, at KQED Forum. We've got a few more here. Lisa writes, when I cycle a lot, we called the area between the urethra and the anus, which would hurt after long rides, the ain't. It ain't your anus, and it ain't your urethra. (laughs) A listener writes, turd cutter. Another listener (laughs) writes, for someone having intestinal issues, trouble at the Stargate. And uh, another listener writes as their euphemism, asterisk. <laughs> we are talking with Dr. Jen Gunter, an OBGYN and pain medicine physician, author of The Vagina Bible, all about anuses, body parts, body parts deemed embarrassing and why they shouldn't be and the effect that that has. Catherine Wu, staff writer for The Atlantic, author of the piece, The Body's Most Embarrassing Organ is an Evolutionary Marvel. You, our listeners, are sharing with us your euphemisms for the anus or other body parts, questions you have about the evolution of the anus, your thoughts about where the taboo around it and its function comes from, and... uh, curious if you how you teach your kids about body parts as well if you want to share those thoughts stay with us for more i'm mina kim support for forum comes from san francisco opera Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the amazing anus this hour on Forum and also about the taboos around talking about it that can lead to not fully appreciating its wonders. But listeners today certainly are uh, as they share with us the, uh, the questions they have about our anus and anuses generally and also the words that they use to get around the embarrassment, which have been really hilarious. <laughs> Catherine Wu is with us, who inspired today's segment. Catherine wrote a piece called The Body's Most Embarrassing Organ is an Evolutionary Marvel, and it's just been included in the Best American Science and Nature writing. Dr. Jen Gunter is also with us, an OBGYN and pain medicine physician who wrote The Vagina Bible, The Vulva and the Vagina Separating the Myth from the Medicine. This listener writes... I heard that there are glands around the anus that secrete slime similar to buggers to help the passing of poopy. (laughs) Is that true, Catherine Wu? Uh, I am not going to be the best person to answer questions about the human anus, but uh, there is certainly mucus throughout all of that tract, um, if that's what we're talking about. (laughs) Right. To to help it pass pass better. Well, Ross writes, rectum works best for me. It rolls off the tongue better than anus, I think, in terms of a euphemism for anus. Um, And then another listener writes, my friend once said that the worst thing about Europe is that you have to pay for the bathrooms. And there's nothing worse than losing a euro to just fart in a stall. You know, Jen Gunter, there are adults who will hold in their farts. Or or hate pooping at the workplace or kids who don't want to poop at school. I had asked the question before the break about talking to kids. How how do you address uh, kids with that kind of hesitation? Sure. Um, just but before we get to that, I just want to uh, someone said that they use the term rectum. The rectum is different from the anus. Ah, so, and that's mm-hmm. important to for people to remember that obviously, again, if you're talking about your own body and you want to say that's fine, but the rectum is actually um, the end of the colon and it's kind of the pouch that connects the colon to the anus. And that's kind of where stool collects. Um, and that's kind of a lead in. So the great thing about, about your sort of whole sort of defecatory system is it's designed uh, or we evolve to take uh, social cues into consideration, right? So, you know, your rectum gets full of stool and then there's there's actually fecal sampling from the top of the anus, which can tell, you know, okay, is that, you know, gas, solid or liquid? And then is this a socially appropriate time for that to leave the body? And so when people sort of go against that system and they hold it in, you can actually, you know, it, 
disturb your reflex, if you will. Um, that can also lead to chronic constipation and then you get larger stool. And then obviously that causes pain. Then when you have a bowel movement and then what happens when a bowel movement hurts, then you're more likely to hold it in. And especially for kids that can become quite a, you know, quite an issue. Yeah. Well, thank you also for helping us be clear and specific in our language, which is also the point of today's show (laughs) (laughs) by teaching us those differences. Let me go to Hari in Fremont. Hi, Hari. Hi, guys. Uh, Thank you for this program. Uh, My nine-year-old, a typical boy, he loves to talk about poop and fart all the time. But after listening to you guys talk, we're trying to get into a space where we were trying to shush him a little bit because, you know, it's it's like a taboo topic, so to speak. But I think after listening to this program in KQAD, I'm just going to let him live up to whatever he wants to talk about. I don't want to shame him anymore. Yes. So Was that you, Dr. Gunter? Yeah. Yeah. No, I also want to say for the doctor who said, I'm going to drop the kids off at the pool. I think that's really brilliant. I'm going to use it. So, thank you. That's oh, I'll be I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hari. Let me go to Kathleen in Novato. Hi, Kathleen. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say what a great topic. I'm so glad that someone is talking about this publicly. No, oh, thanks. And, <laughs> and the fact that I got in as a caller means that people are embarrassed to call and ask questions. They want to know, but they're too embarrassed to call. So well, you know what, and Kathleen? Actually, our phone lines are full. So you just got in oh. on the strength of your comment. <laughs> oh, wow. So did you have well, a story well, you, you wanted to share? Well, a long time ago when I was younger, much older now, uh, uh, a guy I knew said the part between the front and the back is paint meat. And he said, it taint this and it taint that. It's taint me. (laughs) Taint. I see. Well, Kathleen, thanks for sharing. Uh, Another listener is appreciating this show. Best show ever. Thank you. I do think what this is reflecting really is the fact that people do. I mean, when you really think about it, it's it's a function. It's a it's an organ we all have. It's a function that we all do. And yet at the same time, you know, we do have such a difficult time talking about it openly uh, or not laughing and, and being mature about it when we talk about it. So anyway, we've got a, Jack, a listener who writes, Jack Morin, a San Francisco doctor, wrote a wonderful book many years ago, Anal Pleasure and Health. This book changed my life and destigmatized the anus as an organ of pleasure. Another listener writes, well, we all know from TikTok, TikTok that hot girls have IBS. IBS, like how... How how much do we still stigmatize IBS or how how in your practice have you seen people having IBS still be an issue in terms of just communicating it? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's kind of a, a larger conversation about uh, how women who have pain are dismissed, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, irritable bowel syndrome affects about 12% of the population, but if you have pelvic pain, that might be as high as 40 to 50%. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, um, it's a condition that is maybe not completely 
understood because it seems to be a, a combination of a variety of different things, but it's a real condition that causes a lot of distress for a lot of people. And there's often a delay in diagnosis. For example, we see a higher rate of hysterectomies among women who have IBS because their pain is blamed on their uterus, because of course that's the only thing that could cause pain. And, and no one actually then looks that, well, maybe another organ might be responsible for it. So, you know, in addition to delayed care um, and suffering, there's also inappropriate care that can result from it. Let me yeah. go to, yeah, go ahead, Catherine. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I am one person who has both IBS and pelvic pain. And, oh. you know, I do think it's really unfortunate that, you know, like I can walk into a room and say, I have a headache, but things get real awkward if I walk into a room and say I have IBS <laughs> and I wish that were different. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. I wonder, does that, did that contribute to your interest in studying the anus or, or just how did you get over some of the kinds of taboos that we have to, to, to study and pitch this piece to the Atlantic? Uh, you know, I, I don't think that was a big contributor, honestly. I mean, as you can probably tell, my main interest was in the evolution and honestly less in the human health aspect yeah. of it, though of course that's really fascinating. Um, but I do think, you know, I do have a fascination with parts of the body, parts of really any body uh, that are kind of neglected or that we take for granted, uh, taboo subjects that are actually really fascinating windows into how bodies have evolved. And, you know, if, if there's sort of a disproportionate ratio between how important something is and how much it's appreciated, uh, I like to think, you know, writing like this or conversations like this can start to flip that balance a little bit. Yeah. Were there conversations at the Atlantic about how to market this particular piece so that people would would click on it or, or is it one that sort of sells itself? Uh, I mean, a little bit. I think there was a little bit of hesitation. Uh, hmm. People weren't thrilled about the idea about putting, you know, anus right there in the headline. And so that is not the headline it ended up with, which is understandable. I mean, I think this is the kind of piece where, you know, certainly we have readers that would have clicked on that piece, but maybe this is sort of like a hiding broccoli in the chocolate pudding sort of situation. Invite readers in with something a little vaguer, and maybe by the end of the piece, they're more comfortable with the word anus. Well, I love the choice of, of a cat butt as the photo to go with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a cat person, so uh, I did not choose that photo, but I am very pro-cat butt. It seemed to bridge a lot of things because, you know, it's a straight up anus, right? It's not hidden by any cheeks or anything. And it's also really adorable, probably one of the most adorable anuses out there. <laughs> yeah. And a very ubiquitous one. I think any cat owner, um, you know, cats are not ashamed about showing their anuses. And maybe we have maybe not everything to learn from that, but a few leaves we can take out of their book. Let me go to caller Susan in Lafayette. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Go I ahead. Wanted, yeah. I wanted to discuss your anus knowing the difference between liquid, gas, and solid. And when your body loses the ability to detect liquid, the difference between diarrhea and anal leakage. I went to the doctor with anal leakage for years, and they just sort of stared blankly at me. Mm. And after having mm. it for almost 10 years, I began to have gallbladder pain. They removed my gallbladder, and that was the end of the anal leakage. But for about eight of the 10 years, they just sort of stared blankly at me huh. at the doctor's office. Yeah, this totally, so, totally underscores what uh, Jen Gunter was talking about. Sorry, Susan, I interrupted you there. Oh, no, that's okay. 
Um, yeah, Dr. Gunter, Susan is basically a case in point, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, there. Are, so, um, you know, anal seepage is certainly, uh, you know, something that, that we have treatment for, and there's an absolute, absolutely a workup for it. And there can be a lot of different things that cause it. It can be due to overflow. So when people have severe constipation, you know, you can leak some stool around it. It can also be due to aggressively over wiping because when you wipe, what happens is you trigger your anus to relax a little bit. And so a little bit of stool can sometimes come out. It can be due to weakness in the pelvic floor. It can be due to injury to the, the nerves, um, the muscles. So there's a variety of different things that can cause it. And it absolutely deserves a workup. Well, thanks Susan for that. And, uh, I want to remind listeners that Catherine Wu is staff writer for The Atlantic, and her piece that inspired today's segment about being open about the anus as the body's most embarrassing organ is an evolutionary marvel. Dr. Jen Gunter is an OBGYN and pain medicine physician. We've been talking about anuses this hour, and this is also a fundraising period for KQED and many public radio stations. So you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Um, let me read a few more comments. Ryan tweets, shout out to P-Wordpedia, a bilingual Twitter page that provides a scientifically accurate, gender-sensitive celebration of the vagina. I'd love to see one for the anus, too. Another listener writes, human buttocks evolved when our ancestors began walking upright. This put the anus in a position where excrement doesn't exit the body as cleanly as other mammals that lack these large muscles. Are humans the only animals that need to wipe this area clean? I'll just start with you, Catherine, there, because you did write a little bit about how, yeah, our incredible cheeks, right, actually made it harder to keep our anus clean. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I mean, it, it sort of depends what we count as wiping that area clean. I mean, certainly many animals work hard to keep their anuses and genitals clean. Uh, you know, you will see uh, animals lick their genitals, lick their anuses to keep them clean. Uh, you will see uh, some animals actually sort of medically treat their genitals by rubbing plant substances on them. Um, you know, th- there are a lot of ways that animals sort of, uh, I guess, manage that area. And uh, it sort of depends how we do this. But I I think it's safe to say that we're the only ones who have invented toilet paper <laughs> and, you know, bidets and made a whole ritual and separate rooms for this sort of thing, uh, sometimes to our detriment because of overwiping and maybe a little bit of obsession with overcleaning that area. Let me go to caller Natalie in San Francisco. Hi, Natalie. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is about homophobia. I'm curious what the guests may have learned about people's like, root uh, reason for uh, being homophobic might have something to do with their repulsion about the anus. Hmm. And and shame or a byproduct of shame around it, Dr. Gunter? Curious what you think well, about what Natalie's asking. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, many people get a lot of sexual pleasure from their anus. You know, there's all those nerve endings there. And, uh, and I think that uh, that that you know, societal taboo, which shouldn't exist, clearly must play a role in it. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I discuss anal sex with my patients on a regular basis. I think it's really important for people to destigmatize it and people have questions. And, and when I sort of, you know, bring it up as, as, as something to discuss, you know, people have lots of questions. And so I'm sure that must play a role. Well, Natalie, thanks for bringing that into the convo. Let me go to Jim in Rio Vista. Hi, Jim. 
Hi. Um, yeah, one thing sort of related is uh, in America, no one ever says, uh, where's the toilet, or I need to use the toilet. They'll say, I need to use the bathroom. Mm. But if you go anywhere else around the world, the signs even say toilet. But you'll never, you'll never see that in America. And uh, we're sort of afraid to say the word toilet. We're even afraid to say the word toilet. Though, Jen Gunter, I do hear water closet a lot when I'm in, <laughs> or at least among Brits. Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of a British thing, you know, this, but, uh, but yeah, this sort of, you know, back in the day, so pre-Victorian era, certainly unless, you know, you were, you know, super wealthy and you were the Duke of whoever, you know, people had group toilets. You went down to the end of the road and there were side-by-side toilets and you would sit beside each other going to the bathroom, you know? So this sort of, um, taking it out of a, like a communal experience to, you know, to where we are today, again, that's a, that's, that, that seems to have been a product of the Victorians. That it is something that you, making it dirty sort of is something then that you wouldn't do in polite company, basically. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to be having a bowel movement in the kitchen where you're making food because there's obviously cross-contamination. But this idea that that it's something that you need, you know, you need to be closeted off and in a tiny room and going to the bathroom and doing your business, you know, that's that seems to, you know, in our society really stem from the Victorians. Well, this listener writes sort of on point. Someone once told me there is a Japanese proverb that says that loneliness is when you fart and no one's there to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine, tell me, you know, what impact have you seen your piece have? What impact do you hope it has in, in terms of really looking deeply at the evolution of the anus and, and all the different ways that creatures use their anuses and its incredible functions? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I I was delighted to have had the opportunity to write this piece, but I don't have any grand fantasies about this piece single-handedly changing anything. I'm just delighted when it inspires conversations like these and maybe inspires other conversations. And if it makes, you know, one graduate student somewhere think, you know, maybe I will actually be brave enough to express interest in studying the anus this week, then I consider that a huge win. Um, <laughs> but it is certainly not the only anus piece out there. I am certainly not the only anus enthusiast <laughs> out there. And I am just happy to be in good company. Well, I imagine you've had to write a lot about COVID these last couple of years. I This must have been a nice break. Absolutely. I will uh, put the COVID stuff aside for anuses anytime. <laughs> well, Catherine Wu, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Check out her piece. It's really good if you haven't already from last year. The Body's Most Embarrassing Organ is an evolutionary marvel. Catherine Wu is a staff writer for The Atlantic. Dr. Jen Gunter, really glad to have you on as well in your insights and experiences. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Gunter is an OBGYN and pain medicine physician. Her book is The Vagina Bible, The Vulva and the Vagina Separating the Myth from the Medicine. Caroline Smith produced today's segment. And this forum hour is also produced by Grace Wan. Susan Britton is our lead producer. Our senior producer is Susan Davis. Marlena Jackson Retondo is our engagement producer. And our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Jim Bennett, and Chris Hoff. Our interns are Jennifer Eng and Paul C. Kelly Campos. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Mina Kim. Thank you, listeners, for listening and participating in today's show. Embrace yourself this weekend. Have a great one.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.